everybody. With the Consumer Technology Association, I'm Tyler Suters. We are the owners and producers of CES, the largest, the most influential tech event on the entire planet. Our big show is coming up in January, the 7th through the 10th, 2020, in Las Vegas, as always, our home away from home. And we are here to help you get CES ready. So as the global event for tech innovation, CES is home to a myriad of game-changing technologies and verticals, right? You think of the content and entertainment sector, the auto sector, um, and then layer things on top of that, like game-changing 5G technology or all the iterations of what AI can do for us. Today, we're focusing on a vertical you may not think of, that is sports technology. And CES really does provide the perfect arena for this because on the tech side, right, the devices, the, the, the products, you have digitals and wearables and simulator technologies, the kinds of things that help you train like a professional athlete, if not always perform like one. And then on the other side of the spectrum, the leaders in this space, the voices, the minds that are sharing how to reach audiences sports fans or sports sort of fans, whether they're at home, in the arena, or even out and about. Brilliant conversations take place. Today, two examples, and again, I'll use that uh, notation of both ends of the spectrum. On the high side, we are talking to a leader from Formula One Racing. And if you don't know F1, it's a bit James Bond meets the technology sector, right? This is probably the most technologically advanced sport in the entire world. And F1 has a global fan base. They go to exotic race locations, very cool road courses. But today we're talking about how F1 is not just addressing fans there at the race courses, but bringing the action and the excitement and some of the driver information and car information to fans all around the world. That conversation with F1 is coming up. Now, on the slightly smaller side, an insider's take, and I would argue an expert's take, on sports startups, something you don't always hear about, right? This is the way smaller companies are growing and growing quickly, thanks in part to things like data, analysis, and sharing, and the strategy that goes into that, and also access, whether you're an athlete trying to break into a sport at a higher level, or someone in the business trying to ascend. That's all coming up on this edition of CES Tech Talk. Joining us now is Murray Barnett, and he may have one of the coolest jobs in the international sports scene. He is with Formula One, F1, where he is head of global sponsorship and commercial partnerships. Murray, great to have you with us, and I don't know that there's any sport in the world that embraces global <laughs> quite as much as you do at F1. Well, thank you for the, for the great introduction. Um, yeah, I mean, we like to think of ourselves as the, the only truly global annual sporting series. You know, we cover 21 races this year, 22 races next year, which happen on all five continents. So delighted to be with you today to touch on some of our technology and you know, where we see the future of sports and technology going. Yeah, well, it seems so right, Murray, in that uh, a sport like F1 with an audience that is scattered around the world, um, 
that proximity is difficult to achieve in terms of actually getting to a race, depending on where you live. But through technology, uh, you can get closer, not just to viewing the race itself, but in some senses, climb into the car with the drivers, right? Just because of the connectivity uh, that's available now. 100%. And actually, you know, Formula One, uh, when you actually get down to the sport, is the most technologically advanced sport on the planet. So mm-hmm. everything from seatbelts through to carbon fiber through to refrigeration technology that was developed with Formula One in mind, it now trickles through to people's everyday lives. Um, But we're also taking that view about the way in which we engage with our fans around the world. And you you, you hit the the, the right word there with connectivity because it's everything from how do we connect with our fans at the track? How do we connect the cars to the engineers? How do we connect to our fans which are not coming uh, coming to races? And our big challenge is how do we put all of that together and transfer all of the data and pictures and video and uh, other information that we have to all of these constituent audiences to make sure that they, if you're in a technical capacity, you're making the most informed decision. And if you're uh, a fan of the sport, you're having the most enjoyable uh, experience with all of the data that's available to us. So you at F1 have really put an emphasis, Murray, on uh, being uh, to use a loose term, customer friendly, and and I would rephrase that as saying, making sure the fans are engaged and involved um, as much as possible. And again, that's that can be a challenge when cars are are, are zipping by at incredible speeds on a, a circuitous route. That that if you're in person, see them only once every minute or so, if that. Um, how are you emphasizing the consumer experience, the customer experience, both? You know, at the venues uh, where where you're holding races, but also everyone at home, as you said, emphasizing the pictures that we all see. Well, Formula One was taken over by Liberty Media about three years ago, and part of uh, Liberty's mantra when we went, when I joined the company uh, was actually that we had to put the fan at the center of everything that we do. And so what we're trying to do is really imagine the experience uh, and what it's like for fans, whether they're at a track or whether they're sitting on their couch or or whatever, and trying to make sure that we're creating both uh, customized experiences, uh, but also the best possible experience. And, you know, we have everybody from sort of data geeks who want to know everything about uh, how how fast the car's going, how much it's accelerating, uh, how regular its lap times are, and all of those kind of stats, right through to people that just want to see very high-quality video. And actually, one of the things that we've done, certainly for those not at the track, is launched our over-the-top consumer product called F1 TV, which is available in the States and and many other countries around the world, where you can choose your own camera angle, you can get additional data, uh, really making it a customizable experience for for the viewer and making sure that they get exactly what they want when they want it. Um, In terms of those at the track, you know, we're working hard to try and figure out better ways to make it an enjoyable experience, because although people primarily come for the Formula One race, they tend to be at the track for sort of eight hours a day for, for a whole weekend. So you know, three days, eight hours a day, that's 24 hours that we've got to actually occupy uh, a, a fan's time or that we have uh, uh, them available to enjoy stuff with us. So it's important that we also make sure that we have apps and, and other technology for them to be able to know what's on where and be able to get the most out of their Grand Prix weekend when they're on site. And as you say, they don't necessarily always get to see a huge amount of the car. So that's been a big part of it is seeing how we can unfold as much of the technology and data that we have to the fans so that they can have that truly enjoyable experience 
and understand exactly what it is that they're seeing. Yeah, so you bring up a really interesting point, Murray, and that is the fact that that uh, either social uh, media or platform-based media, um, the kind that's the the uh, the lean-in experience, is a bit of an intersection for fans. And I would say this in any sport, but it, it sounds especially true for for F one, given the the landscape that that you've sketched. In that, that's a point of connection, whether you are watching in real time or you're six time zones away trying to catch up on 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 what happened overnight. Right, that those are the platforms that you really can c- communicate across, uh, perhaps most effectively. Yeah, well, yeah, what I find fascinating, and I'm lucky to have a focus group of two at home in my uh, <laughs> nine-year-old and twelve-year-old sons, and the way that they that they consume Formula One. Uh, being fans and not just because of me, but uh, is very different how I consume it. You know, they, uh, I don't think that they've ever sat down and watched anything for two hours uh, in one go. And so they're still massive Formula One fans, but they're consuming it through Instagram, through YouTube clips, through seeking out information from their peers, uh, through uh, following the, uh, following the drivers on the podcast that we produce and various other ways of, uh, of consuming it. And in many ways, they're much more lean in than I am who's sitting on a couch at three o'clock in, on a Sunday afternoon, maybe after a glass of wine, who's maybe not <laughs> watching it you know, as interestingly as them. And I think what we're finding is that in order to attract these new generations and different generations, you have to create media and um, content for the platforms that they watch on. And so what we find, and I think this is true of all sports media companies at the moment, is that they're having to create a ton more content than they ever did before in tons of different formats, very bespoke for each of the platforms that they're working for. So, you know, we, in the last two years, have launched our own eSports League. We've launched our own Twitter and Instagram accounts, which unbelievably didn't exist until about two and a half, three years ago. You might need to repeat... You might need to repeat that. You didn't have social media platforms until just a few years ago at F1? Correct. I mean, you know, when uh, when I joined three years ago, we had a, a, a sort of a dormant dot-com site that had uh, some, some limited information on, no Instagram account, no Twitter handle, no Facebook, because the previous ownership didn't believe in attracting those new generations. And actually, you know, we see them both as, a, 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 let's call it a customer acquisition tool or a fan acquisition tool, but also eventually a way for us to make money. And what we're finding more and more is that our partners want to be involved across all of those platforms because, as I said, they kind of attract different audiences. So did that have you, you know, you use a euphemism of your choice, shaking your head, face in palm, however you want to phrase it. But coming from your background at, at ESPN, where you're trying to reach uh, potential viewers at all times and all places, um, how do you go from, well, now I use a, 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 a racing simile, but from zero to 120 in, in 2016 uh, when you when you had nothing and need to have everything? Well, my, my boss likes to say he wasn't sure when he joined whether it was a, 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 a startup or a turnaround. And the answer is it's probably somewhere in the middle. Um, but the great advantage of that is that we were able to take best practices that we've seen from other leagues and indeed make our own um, sort of carefully judged experiments. And I'd say that we're probably uh, amongst the best in, in the way that we use social and digital media now. And you know, the fan experience, if you're following us in, in those mediums, is, is, a, is a very strong one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to lose sight of 
the fact that, as you said, this is most likely the most technologically advanced sport uh, on the planet right now. Um, where are you seeing the advances from, from cutting-edge technology, whether it's AI or 5G connectivity? Uh, you know, let's stay away from self-driving vehicles for, <laughs> for the time being, but where are the applications that are real game-changers uh, around the world that you see making a difference in F1 right now? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you bring up about the self-driving technology because I think that's one of the beauties of Formula One is it's the perfect marriage of human endeavor and, and technological excellence. And, you know, we very much want to keep that for the future in terms of it being very much about putting that very human element with the most advanced technology. What people tend to see of it's Formula One is it's quite of a, a solitary sport because it's one driver driving a car. But if you speak to anybody inside a team, they'll tell you, it really is a team sport because everybody has a role to follow uh, and everybody's supporting the activities uh, uh, behind the driver, albeit that he's the most visible. And so actually, you know, our job is to, is to try and work out the best ways in which we can provide them the best technology solutions to be able to understand what they're actually uh, seeing coming off the car. So, you know, we have 300 sensors on the car at the moment. We get 16 gigabytes of data uh, off each car per second. And we're trying to figure out, sorry, uh, actually the 15 gigabytes of data per car per Grand Prix. We're, we're trying to figure out the best ways to make sure that that information passes back to the engineers and back to the factories and back to all the people that are supporting the driver as quickly and efficiently as possible. So we definitely see that the technology coming through of 5G and so on is going to be a fantastic tool for Formula One and indeed a, fa a fantastic proof of concept for, for providers of you know, if you can provide it onto a Formula One car going at uh, 250 miles an hour around a track, then uh, or robustly, then you, surely you can manage with uh, somebody's home network or providing it to their their road going vehicle. So, you know, that's probably our one of our biggest fo focuses, and in many ways, everything kind of spins off of that. So, once you get the connectivity right, our ability to then connect to the fans. Uh, you know, IoT is another big thing which everybody's talking about at the moment, mm -hmm. and that ultimately is still going to rely on that connectivity. So I think once we've cracked that 5G path and the way in which we can best uh, get, the, get those connections up and running, we, we see that the possibilities are almost only limited by, by the imagination that we have as to where those could fit and, and how those could be utilized. Yeah, I'd like to circle back to something you said earlier, Murray, about the, the, the race weekend feel, right, which can mean different things to, to different sports in, in different continents. But um, for F1, you were saying eight, roughly eight hours a day, three days of a weekend. Um, and it's not just fans, right? We're talking about um, you know, the teams themselves, the media, the sponsors, the content and entertainment sector. I mean, it, it you know, granted, my view is a bit myopic, but it sounds a bit like the mashup we get at at C Space at CES, where it's this confluence of people who are your audience, who are uh, conduits to the audience, who are creating elements of of uh, entertainment that the audience wants to watch, all in one place at one time. The difference being, you're moving from country to country, uh, continent to continent, depending on the weekend, right? Yeah, and I mean. You know, it's, a, it's both a blessing and a curse in the sense that, you know, if you go to a soccer match or to NFL or anything like that, you're probably talking, you know, four or five hours maximum, um, maybe less even in the case of a soccer match. And uh, people just come and go. We've got those people turning up for the same length of time, if not a bit longer, for, for three days. So in many ways, it's much more akin to a music festival. 
And what we're trying to give people is very much that experience where, you know, it's an entertainment weekend with motor racing at the core. So if you come to a Formula One weekend, you'll see that there's lots of experiential activities there. Uh, esports is such a huge part of what we do as well because it gives you that sort of first-person opportunity to experience roughly what it's like to be a Formula One car. And I've got a great idea that I want to tell you about in just a minute. Um, but then there's also music, there's food and drink, fashion, all of these other elements which make it a really fantastic rounded weekend for you know the entire family. And you know the, the analogy I always use is you know I should be able to take my wife and kids to a Grand Prix weekend. And even if they don't see one moment of on-track action, that they'll come away having had an amazing experience. And, you know, again, to bring it back to technology, that's so essential in all aspects of us providing that great entertainment experience. All right. So you provided a nice what we call deep tease, right? <laughs> He's like, I got a great idea. Just wait for it. Um, break it out, please. Let's pull back the curtain and hear what, hear what you're saying, right? Yeah, well, one uh, one idea that we're working on, and I should I should add that this is probably not something that's going to happen imminently. We're super excited about the possibility of is the idea that uh, through our, our our video game uh, F1 2019 um, that you would be able to compete in real time against the the drivers in any one race, meaning that you know for Circuit of the Americas in Austin in uh, in November you would be able to line up on the grid at the same time in front of your console with your own car and you would be able to make real-time decisions about when you when you had a pit stop or what kind of tires you put on and all of that. And at the end of the race, you would know whether you had actually been able to have beaten the, the driver that won the Grand Prix. And the reason why we think we're very close to doing that is we're a few seconds, there's still a few seconds of latency between the, the, the data and the pictures. But the quality of the video game is getting very close to that. And we think that that's a very unique advantage that we have over something like, you know, Madden or NBA 2K or so on, where you don't quite get that first person experience. But we think it would be kind of neat to sit in your bedroom and realize at the end of the race that actually, if you were really a racing driver, you would have come, you know, first, second, third, whatever it is. And uh, so that's one of the, the kind of exciting technology projects that we're working towards. Yeah, let's limit it to second and third because nobody beats Lewis Hamilton. I mean, to be to be honest about the <laughs> the state of play right now, brilliant I don't idea. Ferrari is doing pretty well these days. <laughs> um, that that I mean, a, a brilliant idea, Maureen. It sounds like that's you know such a ripe application for, as I mentioned earlier, something like like five G connectivity, where you need it anytime, anywhere, but also those lightning speeds uh, with low if if no latency um, for augmented and virtual reality for a smart city um, and, you know, for an immersive gaming experience. So are you, in a sense, that the technology sounds like it's there, it's the connectivity to some degree you need to catch up to, to bring this idea to reality? Yeah, I'm probably getting over my, over my skis a little bit. Uh, there are certainly a couple, of, uh, a couple of challenges, but connectivity remains something, which is like I said earlier, is so absolutely front and center of everything that, that we're thinking about going forward and making sure that we have both the bandwidth and the speed required because if we crack both of those issues, then we're able to do some really, really cool and different things. And, you know, our sport lends itself so well to being uh, technology incubators and first users of new technology. 
uh, and indeed, you know, there's an insatiable appetite to, to use anything that comes on the market. And so, you know, when we come to somewhere like CES, it's as much for us to learn about what, how we see the other people developing and to get new ideas as it is, as it is to showcase to companies the opportunities that exist with, with Formula One. And increasingly, when we, when we work with technology providers like, say, an Amazon Web Services, the, the, the relationship that we have with them is as much about trying to scope out what a shared vision for the future looks like as it is about just using their products and services or them being able to uh, use Formula One as a, as a test bed. So, you know, we see everything that we do very much as building technology partnerships, and, and that's really where CES is, is just a great forum for us. Murray Barnett is head of global sponsorship and commercial partnerships at Formula One F1, the racing circuit of the world. Murray, a real pleasure. I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised we we're able to catch you between flights and trips and continents. Um, thanks so much for your time, and we'll see you in Vegas in a few months. Thank you very much for having me. Really appreciate it. Jill Stelfox is not only co-CEO at Edgy Inc., she is a true success story in the sports and tech sector. Jill, great to have you with us today. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. So not unusual to hear from a successful entrepreneur and startup veteran who is in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, I think what is a bit unusual is one, the amount of success you've had, but two, the fact that it is almost exclusively been in the sports sector. What is the, what is the key element of, of finding success and growth in sports and tech? Uh, number one, I would say uh, creativity. <laughs> and uh-huh. number two, persistence. Uh, sticking with it for a while, I think, is absolutely key. All right, so it's not unusual to talk to a successful entrepreneur from the San Francisco Bay Area, as you are. Uh, I think what is a bit unusual is the fact that you have been in sports and technology uh, for so long. What is the the, the one key to, to, to success or the few keys that you think it takes for such longevity, such success at this nexus between technology and sports? I think it has a lot to do with um, creativity and persistence, really understanding what teams and leagues are looking for and um, sticking with technology and technology changes over time. So speaking of that change, what is the biggest leap in technology that that you've seen that has really driven the growth and the excitement in sports tech? I think ultimately the ability to deliver real-time data so that Fans can use that data in everything from gaming to gambling, um, but it starts with a delivery of real-time data. Uh, that is often, Otherwise, those, those markets wouldn't exist. Yeah, Jill, and that's often, so often described as some variation of, as uh, Congressman Will Hurd puts it, data being the coin of the realm. Um, so I'm not surprised to hear that in the sports sector as well. Um, when was that leap? When did you notice uh, or really begin to, to see the strong connection between uh, availability and collection of data uh, and how it can drive success and ability as a company? In 2013, I worked with the NFL to deliver the first real-time tracking system for the NFL that was league-wide. 
And we were able to put RFID chips on every NFL player in the league and deliver data, speed, distance, um, in real time, 120 milliseconds to um, television. And that was the first time that a league-wide rollout happened. And you literally, as a fan, could see that data and kind of understand the power of what was possible. And what's fascinating is from 2013 to 2019 is you now see companies that have been spun up to consume that data and use it for all kinds of things, right? To do player health and welfare, to do gambling, to do all kinds of fun things. So putting data aside for a second, let's talk about what you're doing now at Edgy Inc., uh, where you're co-CEO, and uh, what your game plan, so to speak, is there at Edgy. Yeah, at Edgy, what we do now is we actually help um, companies, other companies, not just ours, but other companies um, both sell and market their sports technologies um, to teams and leagues around the world. And so we really help amplify all kinds of technology companies in the market. And so what's great about that is we can see cutting edge technologies and what's going on today. Um, And it's amazing, like you said, it's amazing how fast technology changes and what's available. In 2013, we were the first um, with the NFL, and now every major league around the world has a sports tracking system in place, whether it's some kind of RFID or GPS or camera-based tracking, every league has it. Every league has data where they can see speed distance of a player in the hands of fans. It's amazing. So given that that scope of work at Edgy, Joe, what has you most excited? Is it a, a technology for fans, uh, and I'll break that down to either at home watching uh, or online watching or fans in the stadium. Is it about players? Is it about the team? Um, and you know, is it league marketing? And uh, I'll give you an out. You can also say all of the above <laughs> if you choose, and, and, and you can't pin down just one. I would say maybe two things. One is um, I'm a big fan and always have been from the early work that I did with the NFL on players having access to the data that they create. Um, So in the NFL, for example, players have um, create the data and um, they have access to it for sure. Um, But imagine the day when they can use that data to leverage it to create their own assets. Um, And I think that's just now starting. So, you know, imagine them using it to create their own advertising and generate their own revenue. And I think someday that will happen and there'll be whole companies spun up to create that for them. And that may be the new wild, wild west in terms of (laughs) revenue generation. And I think that would be awesome for them because they created. So that'd be great. So is that a bit of an extension um, of, say, an athlete today has his or her own, uh, I'll pick out twi- Twitter feed or, or, or uh, maybe their, you know, their Insta um, handle, but that, that profile is their brand essentially to 
fans, you're talking about ext- extrapolating that beyond just words and pictures and content into something more, much more objective and, and uh, scientific, it seems. Yes. I mean, how fun would that be, right? And I can see where there would be a day where a player would have the ability to put their stats out themselves about how fast they ran in a, you know, particular play. And, you know, maybe call the opposing player out and say, look, I beat you. And here's how fast I ran. How fun would that be? <laughs> yeah, I think you just gave OBJ his next idea for taunting defensive backs in the, in the NFL. That's, <laughs> that, that actually is an exciting, <laughs> exciting future for fans. Um, so we've talked a lot about the pro leagues, Jill. But you have uh, experience as well at, at a former company, Routes, Inc., that dealt with the application of technology and data for high school athletes. Um, Delve into that a bit, if you would, please. Yeah, so this is one of my favorite companies. So um, it's a company called Route Analytics. They have this great application. If you are a high school athlete, a high school football player today, and they're they're working on other areas, and you want to know how do you get a you know, a D1, D2 scholarship, what's the right football program for you? You are used to this defense setup or this offensive setup. You're this type of player in this organization. What colleges operate like that have most importantly this kind of education system and where are you going to fit? Large college, small college, great coach. Um, Where's the right place for you? And um, great CEO there, Craig, he has absolutely built this company from a college coach scout perspective and given a real view for um, high school athletes that may not be scouted in the same way that some of the well-known high schools are scouted. Um, and you can upload tape or video and um, play information and all kinds of stuff and make yourself known to colleges. And what's awesome about this is um, this company has been around for a couple of years and they've got great statistics about kids making it into D1 and D2 schools on scholarships using this route product. And so it's a pretty cool it's a pretty cool outcome, and I'm absolutely proud of these guys that have put it together. They literally, um, Craig, the CEO of the company, he did it because his son is a football player and needed to go to, you know, needed to find the right college that would fit for his son, and he pulled it off. So, and then he made a company out of it, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, I could see how pride is 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 a clear factor in that, Jill. Um, Shifting a little bit, uh, I'd like to talk about your role. You're currently chair of Women in Sports Tech. Uh, WIST, I think, is the, the nomenclature around the business. Um, so I, I don't want to make too ham-handed a comparison here, but it's a little like route in that you're driving toward outcomes and trying to get deserving, talented people in the field noticed and get them opportunities. Um, Unlike route, where you have a really short horizon on proving value, women in sports tech has a bit of a longer view. Um, where is 
the 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 spectrum right now and and where do you want to see it go? We are so excited about women in sports tech. We uh, put it together a bunch of you know wonderful women and uh, enthusiastic uh, men put women in sports tech together because we found that there were not enough women in the sports tech community. And so at, at the senior levels, and we went out and did a international survey of women um, and, you know, asked why, why is this the case? And one of the big reasons is that young women needed to see examples and role models. And so we created a foundation so that we could show other women examples. And so we do a number of things in order to do that. One of them, by the way, is making sure that we have enough fabulous women that are involved in sports technology on panels at CES. Um, And it's one of the things we're most proud of. Um, Last year at CES, by the way, there was an amazing all-female panel of female technologists at CES for the first time ever, which was really cool on around sports. Um, and there's women um, across all of the sports technology panels, which is great at CES. And so we make sure that women have an opportunity to be seen and heard in public events. Um, we do a lot of mentoring. Um, and then we actually sponsor and pay for fellowships for great young college um, women in the field of sports technology um, and kickstart their careers. So they've got resume building um, opportunities. And it's, it's amazing what's possible once you give them a shot. Off they go. Uh, Jill, first of all, you sound like a head football coach I once had. Um, and that's a compliment, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, final question, as, as a... I'll say CES veteran, and you can choose whether to reveal how many CES you have been to in years past. But um, obviously, the the footprint of the show has changed, the makeup of the show has changed, the technologies on display have changed. Um, can you just trace a journey based on your own history about sports at CES and and where it stands today? I have been coming to CES for so long that I came before there was sports even as a subset of CES. And then when it was a small piece of the story to, you know, now it, it was, it was like half of a room. And and now it's, it's, you know, a whole section in a whole building. Um, I remember when we got part of the program, um, which is funny because now we've got, you know, a whole show. Um, so it, it's sort of great to see how it's grown. And even, frankly, the sports technology field. I remember when, you know, sports tech was really just television um, as a part of the sports game. It's, it, it's something that we joke about all the time. If you look back on some of the old, you know, basketball games or the old football games, there's no score in the corner of the television. And yeah, like, a clean oh, screen, like, right? No. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, how do you even know what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> you sat around no. and waited for the score to flash. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Who does? <laughs> no. 
Jill, before we let you go, you made a number of NFL references. Uh, safe to assume your team in the league is the Niners? No, I'll tell you a funny thing. My team in the league is the Saints. I am a huge Sean Payton, Drew Brees fan. Huge. All right. Well, you've got one Super Bowl victory to your credits, and we'll see what, what 2019 holds. Maybe we'll be celebrating uh, another playoff experience at CES 2020 for your Saints. I'm hoping. <laughs> Jill Stelfox is not only an outstanding sports fan, but also co-CEO at Edgy and chair of the board at Women in Sports Tech. Jill, it has been a blast. Let's keep this conversation going, please. Great. All right, coming up next time on CES Tech Talk, vehicle technology. Now, now hold on. Yes, it's self-driving vehicles. And yes, we have some brilliant automobiles and concept cars and some pretty wild and imaginative and innovative outliers at the space at CES. But we're talking to two companies, major companies. You'll recognize the brand names about their role in vehicle technology. One is a company on the agricultural side, so think field. The other is firmly planted, or better way to put it is firmly floating on the water. All right, that's all next time on CES Tech Talk. We are here to help you get CES ready for 2020. So to get prepped up for the big show, Subscribe to this podcast and you won't miss a single episode, not a single topic we are analyzing and delving deeply into as we get ready for CES 2020. The show dates January 7th through the 10th in Las Vegas. The information you need to plan your way is at ces.tech. As always, none of this is possible without our true podcasting superstars, our executive producer, Tina Anthony, and our senior studio engineer, John Lindsay. Y'all are the best in the business. I'm Tyler Suters. Let's talk tech again soon.